This episode of Sleepy is proudly sponsored by ButcherBox. If you've listened to Sleepy for a while, you know that I love good food, eating well and treating my body right so that I can take on my days. Well, ButcherBox helps you do exactly that. They deliver super high quality, 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, crate-free pork, and wild-caught seafood right to your door. It's humanely raised, no antibiotics or added hormones. They have a huge variety to choose from. They are excellent deals. They've got recipes and guides and tips included, and there's free shipping, always. Eating well is a huge factor in getting a good night's sleep, as is sometimes saving the trip to the grocery store and taking some stress out of your daily schedule. I have been loving these deliveries for those reasons. Been cooking up their uh, steak tips with eggs in the morning with butter and scallions and soy sauce. And I also made a delicious brine chicken roast with lemon parsley gravy. So good. The prices for this kind of quality and convenience is really impressive. Uh, yeah, ButcherBox has made me very happy. So sign up at butcherbox.com sleepy and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com sleepy and use code sleepy to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. Butcherbox.com sleepy. Eat well, sleep well. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, and you're listening to Sleepy. A podcast where I read old books to help you get to sleep, and a proud member of the Airwave Podcast Network. Well, tonight, I have a really... Great little uh, story from Hans Christian Andersen for you to go to sleep to. I think you're really going to like it. And before we get to the bedtime story, I just want to profoundly thank all of our brand new patrons on Patreon.com, which is a site where you can go and pledge a couple bucks for an ad-free version of the show. So, this week's wonderful new patrons. Katie Montgomery. Jacob Farino. Brian Slater, Anise Aoun, Sarah S., Mary Bain, Erica, Al Figuerito, and Emily Gazelka. Thank you all so, so much for donating and being a part of making this show. It really, really means a lot. And for anyone who doesn't know, all these names that I just read are brand new supporters of Sleepy on Patreon.com, which is a wonderful site where you can directly support creators of the work that you like. So, if you like Sleepy and um, you want to be a part of making it, then go to Patreon.com slash Sleepy Radio and donate even a dollar a month. At $2, there's an ad-free version of the show. At $5, there's a special exclusive poetry feed. Um... But even if you donate a dollar, it goes a really long way and um, I will read your name in the opening credits of the next show after you do. So again, if you want to be a part of making this show, go to patreon.com 
slash sleepy radio. Thank you. And as always, the music you're hearing is by my good friend James Lepkowski, and the cover art for Sleepy is by Gracie Kanan. Well, tonight, um, like I said, I am going to be reading this great little short story by Hans Christian Andersen, who we all know and love as the writer of The Little Mermaid. Um, he wrote the story that inspired Frozen and uh, Snow White. So many uh, classic stories that are synonymous with classic literature, Hans wrote. And um, this is kind of a lesser known short story of his called The Roses and the Sparrows. It's a really wonderful little read and uh, I hope it helps you doze off into a deep, deep slumber. You're going to hear me read this story once so you can fall deep, deep asleep. And then it will repeat itself so you can stay deep asleep. And now is the time for you to fluff up your pillow just how you like it. Feel yourself melt into your bed. Get real comfortable. Close your eyes. And let me read to you. Roses and the Sparrows. It really appeared as if something very important was going on by the duck farm, but this was not the case. A few minutes before, all the ducks had been resting on the water or standing on their heads, for they can do so, and then they all swam in a bustle to the shore. The traces of their feet could be seen on the wet earth, and far and wide could be heard their quacking. The water, so lately clear and bright as a mirror, became disturbed. A moment before, every tree and bush near the old farmhouse, and the house itself, with the holes in the roof, and the swallows' nests, and above all the beautiful rose bush covered with roses, had been clearly reflected in the water. The rosebush on the wall hung over the water, which resembled a picture, only everything appeared upside down. But when the water was set in motion, it all vanished and the picture disappeared. Two feathers dropped by the fluttering ducks floated to and fro on the water. All at once they took a start, as if the wind were coming, but it did not come and they were obliged to lie still as the water again became quiet and at rest. The roses could once more behold their own reflections. They were very beautiful, but they knew it not, for no one had told them. The sun shone between the delicate leaves. Everywhere, the sweet fragrance spread itself, creating a feeling of deep happiness. How beautiful is our existence, said one of the roses. 
I feel as if I should like to kiss the sun. It is so bright and warm. I should like to kiss the roses, too. Our images in the water, and the pretty birds there in their nests. There are some birds, too, in a nest above us. They stretch out their heads and cry, tweet, tweet, very faintly. They have no feathers yet, as their mother and father have. They are good neighbors above us and below us. How beautiful is our life. The young birds above and the young ones below were the same ones. They were sparrows, and their nest was reflected in the water. Their parents were sparrows also, and they had taken possession of an empty swallow's nest of the year before, and occupied it now as if it were their own. Are those ducks' children that are swimming about? asked the young sparrows, as they spied the feathers on the water. If you must ask questions, pray ask sensible ones, said the mother. Can you not see that these are feathers, the living stuff or clothes, which I wear and which you will wear soon? But ours are much finer. I should like, however, to have them up here in the nest. They would make it so warm. I'm rather curious to know why the ducks were so alarmed just now. It could not be from fear of us, certainly though I did say tweet rather loudly. The thick-headed roses really ought to know, but they are very ignorant. They only look at one another and smell. I am heartily tired of such neighbors. Listen to the sweet little birds above us, said the roses. They are trying to sing. They cannot manage it yet, but it will be done in time. What a pleasure it will be to have such lively neighbors. Suddenly, two horses came prancing along to drink at the water. A peasant boy rode one of them. He had a broad-brimmed black hat on, but had taken off most of his other clothes that he might ride into the deepest part of the pond. He whistled like a bird, and while passing the rosebush, he plucked a rose and placed it in his hat and then rode on, thinking himself very fine. The other roses looked at their sister, and asked each other where she could be going, but they did not know. I should like for once to go out into the world, said one, although it is very lonely here in our home of green leaves. The sun shines warmly by day, and in the night we can see that heaven is more beautiful still as it sparkles through the holes in the sky. She meant the stars, for she knew no better. We make the house very lively, said the mother sparrow. Since people say that a swallow's nest brings luck, they are pleased to see us. But as to our neighbors, a rose bush on the wall produces damp. It will most likely be removed, and perhaps grain will grow here instead of it. Roses are good for nothing but to be looked at and smelled, or perhaps one may chance to be stuck in a hat. I have heard from my mother that they fall off every year. The farmer's wife preserves them by laying them in salt, and then they receive a French name, which I neither can nor will pronounce. They are formed only to please the eye and the nose. 
Now you know all about them. As evening approached, the gnats played about in the warm air beneath the rosy clouds, and the nightingale came and sang to the roses. She sang that the beautiful was like sunshine to the world, and that the beautiful lives forever. The roses thought that the nightingale was singing herself, which anyone, indeed, could easily suppose. They never imagined that her song could refer to them, but it was a joy to them, and they wondered to themselves whether all the little sparrows in the nest would become nightingales. We understood that bird's song very well, said the young sparrows, but one word was not clear. What is the beautiful? Oh, nothing of any consequence, replied the mother sparrow. It is something relating to appearances over yonder at the nobleman's house. The pigeons have a house of their own, and every day they have corn and peas spread for them. I have dined there with them sometimes, and so shall you by and by, for I believe the old maxim, tell me what company you keep, and I will tell you what you are. Well, over at the noble house, there are two birds with green throats and crests on their heads. They can spread out their tails like large wheels, and they reflect so many beautiful colors that it dazzles the eyes to look at them. These birds are called peacocks, and they belong to the beautiful. But if even a few of their feathers are plucked off, they would not appear better than we do. I would myself have plucked some out, had they not been so large. I will pluck them, squeaked the youngest sparrow, who had no feathers of his own yet. In the cottage dwelt two young married people, who loved each other very much and who were so industrious and active that everything looked neat and pretty around them. Early on Sunday mornings, the young wife came out, gathered a handful of the most beautiful roses, and put them in a glass of water, which she placed on a side table. I see now that it is Sunday, said the husband, as he kissed his little wife. Then they sat down and read their hymn books, holding each other's hands while the sun shone down upon the young couple and upon the fresh roses in the glass. This sight is really too wearisome, said the mother sparrow, who from her nest could look into the room. Then she flew away. The same thing occurred the next Sunday, and indeed, every Sunday fresh roses were gathered and placed in a glass but the rose tree continued to bloom in all its beauty. After a while, the young sparrows were fledged and wanted to fly, but the mother would not allow it. So they were obliged to remain in the nest for the present while she flew away alone. It so happened that some boys had fastened a snare made of horsehair to the branch of a tree, and before she was aware, her leg became entangled in the horsehair so tightly as almost to cut it through. What pain and terror she felt. The boys ran up quickly and seized her, not in a very gentle manner. It is only a sparrow, 
they said. However, they did not let her fly away, but took her home with them, and every time she squeaked, they knocked her on the beak. In the farmyard, they met an old man who knew how to make soap for shaving and washing, in cakes or in balls. When he saw the sparrow, which the boys had brought home, and which they said they did not know what to do with, he said, Shall we make it beautiful? A cold shudder passed over the sparrow when she heard this. The old man then took a shell containing a quantity of glittering gold leaf from a box full of beautiful colors and told the youngsters to fetch the white of an egg. With this, he besmeared the sparrow all over and then laid the gold leaf on it so that the mother sparrow was now gilded from head to tail. Though she thought not of her appearance, she trembled in every limb. Then the soap maker tore a little piece out of the red lining of his jacket, cut notches in it so that it looked like a cock's comb, and stuck it on the bird's hat. Now you will see gold jacket fly, said the old man, and he released the sparrow, which flew away in deadly terror with the sunlight shining upon her. How she did glitter. All the sparrows, and even a crow, who was a knowing old boy, were scared at the sight. Yet still, they followed it to discover what foreign bird it could be. Driven by anguish and terror, she flew back homewards, almost ready to sink to the earth for want of strength. The flock of birds that were following increased, and some even tried to peck her. Look at him, look at him, they all cried. Look at him, look at him, cried the young ones as their mother approached the nest. But they did not know her. That must be a young peacock, for he glitters in all colors. It quite hurts one's eyes to look at him. As mother told us, Tweet, this is the beautiful. Then they pecked the bird with their little beaks, so that she was quite unable to get into the nest. She was too much exhausted even to say, Tui, much less to say, I am your mother. So the other birds fell upon the sparrow and pulled out feather after feather till she sunk bleeding into the rosebush. You poor creature, said the roses, be at rest, we will hide you. Lean your little head against us. The sparrow spread out her wings once more and drew them in close to her, and then lay dead amongst the roses, her fresh and lovely neighbors. Tui, sounded from the nest, where can our mother be staying? That is quite unaccountable. Can this be a trick of hers to show us that we are now to take care of ourselves? She has left us the house as an inheritance, but as it cannot belong to all of us when we have families, who is to have it? It won't do for you all to stay with me when I increase my household with a wife and children, remarked the youngest. I shall have more wives and children than you, said the second. But I am the eldest, cried the third. Then they all became angry 
they beat each other with their wings and pecked with their beaks, till one after another bounded out of the nest. There they lay in a rage, holding their heads on one side and twinkling the eye that looked upwards. This was their way of looking sulky. They could all fly a little, and by practice soon learned to do so much better. At length, they agreed upon a sign by which they might be able to recognize each other in case they should meet in the world after they are separated. This sign was to be the cry of Twee and a scratching on the ground three times with the left foot. The youngest, who was left behind in the nest, spread himself out as broad as he ever could, for he was the householder now but his glory did not last long. During that night, red flames of fire burst through the windows of the cottage. They seized the thatched roof and blazed up frightfully. The whole house was burned down and the sparrow perished with it, while the young couple fortunately escaped with their lives. When the sun rose again and all nature looked refreshed as after a quiet sleep, Nothing remained of the cottage but a few blackened, charred beams leaning against the chimney that now was the only master of the place. Thick smoke still rose from the ruins, but outside on the wall the rosebush still remained unburnt, blooming and fresh as ever, while each flower and each spray was mirrored in the clear water beneath. How beautifully the roses are blooming on the walls of that ruined cottage, said a passerby. A more lovely picture could scarcely be imagined. I must draw it. The speaker took out of his pocket a little book full of white leaves of paper, for he was an artist, and with a pencil he sketched the smoking ruins, the blackened rafters, and the chimney that overhung them and which seemed more and more to totter. Quite in the foreground stood the large, blooming rosebush, which added beauty to the picture. Indeed, it was for the sake of the roses that the sketch had been made. Later in the day, two of the sparrows who had been born there came by. Where is the house, they asked. Where is the nest? Tweet, tweet. All is burnt down, and our strong brother with it. That is all he got by keeping the nest. The roses have escaped. They look as well as ever, with their rosy cheeks. They do not trouble themselves about their neighbors' misfortunes. I won't speak to them. Really, in my opinion, the place looks very ugly so they flew away. On a fine, bright, sunny day in autumn, so bright that anyone might have supposed it was still the middle of summer, a number of pigeons were hopping about in the nicely kept courtyard of the nobleman's house in front of the great steps. Some were black, others white, still others of various colors, and their plumage glittered in the sunshine. An old mother pigeon said to her young ones, Place yourselves in groups, 
place yourselves in groups. That makes a much better appearance. What are those little gray creatures that are running about behind us? Asked an old pigeon with red and green round her eyes. Little gray ones, little gray ones, she cried. They are sparrows, good enough little creatures. We have always had the character of being very good nature, so we allow them to pick up some grain with us. They do not interrupt our conversation, and they draw back their left foot so prettily. Sure enough, so they did, three times each, and with the left foot too. And they said, Twee, by which we recognized them as the sparrows that were brought up in the nest on the house that was burnt down. The food here is very good indeed, said the sparrows. The pigeons strutted round each other, puffed out their throats, and formed their own opinions on everything they observed. Do you see the powder pigeon, said one of another. Do you see how he swallows the peas? He takes too much and always chooses the best of everything. Coo, coo. How the ugly, spiteful creature lifts his crest. And all their eyes sparkled with malice. Place yourselves in groups. Place yourselves in groups. Little gray coats. Little gray coats. Coo, coo. So they went on, and it will be the same a thousand years hence. The sparrows feasted bravely and listened attentively. They even stood in ranks like the pigeons, but it did not suit them. So having satisfied their hunger, they left the pigeons passing their own opinions upon them to each other and slipped through the garden railings. The door of a room in the house leading into the garden stood open, and one of them, who felt brave after his good dinner, hopped upon the threshold, crying, Tui, I can venture so far. Tui, said another, I can venture that and a great deal more. And into the room he hopped. The first followed, and, seeing no one there, the third became outrageous and flew right across the room, saying, Venture everything, or do not venture at all. This a wonderful place, a man's nest, I suppose. And look, what can this be? Just in front of the sparrows stood the ruins of the burnt cottage. Roses were blooming over it, and their reflection appeared in the water beneath. The black charred beams rested against the tottering chimney. How could it be? How came the cottage and the roses in a room in the nobleman's house? Then the sparrows tried to fly over the roses and the chimney, but they were only struck themselves against a flat wall. It was a picture, a large, beautiful picture, which the artist had painted from his little sketch. Tui, said the sparrows, it is really nothing after all. It only looks like reality. 
Tui. I suppose that is the beautiful. Can you understand it? I cannot. Then, some persons entered the room, and the sparrows flew away. Years and days passed. The pigeons had often cooed. We must not say quarrel, though perhaps they did. Naughty things. The sparrows had suffered from cold in the winter, and had lived gloriously in summer. They were all betrothed, or married, or whatever you like to call it. They had little ones, and of course each considered his own brood the wisest and the prettiest. One flew in this direction, and another in that, and when they met, they recognized each other by saying, Twee, and by three times drawing back the left foot. The eldest remained single. She had no nest or young ones. Her great wish was to see a large town, so she flew to Copenhagen. Near to the castle that stood by the channel could be seen a large house, richly decorated with various colors. Down the channel sailed many ships, laden with apples and earthenware. The windows were broader below than at the top, and when the sparrows peeped through, they saw a room that looked to them like a tulip, with beautiful colors of every shade. Within the tulip were white figures of human beings made of marble. Some few were made of plaster, but this is the same thing to a sparrow. Upon the roof stood a metal chariot and horses, and the goddess of victory, also of metal, was seated in the chariot driving the horses. It was Thorwaldsen's museum. How it shines and glitters, said the maiden sparrow. This must be the beautiful, Tweet. only this is larger than a peacock. She remembered what her mother had told them in her childhood, that the peacock was one of the greatest examples of the beautiful. She flew down into the courtyard, where everything also was very grand. The walls were painted to represent palm branches, and in the midst of the court stood a large, blooming rose tree, spreading its young, sweet, rose-covered branches over a grave. Thither the maiden sparrow flew, for she saw many others of her own kind. Tui, said she, drawing back her foot three times. During the years that had passed, she had often made the usual greeting to sparrows she met, but without receiving any acknowledgement. For friends who are once separated do not meet every day. This manner of greeting had become a habit to her, and today two old sparrows and a young one returned the greeting. Tweet, they replied, and drew back the left foot three times. There were two old sparrows out of the nest and a young one belonging to the family. Ah, good day. How do you do? To think of our meeting here. This is a very grand place, but there is not much to eat. This is the beautiful Tweet. 
A great many people now came out of the side rooms in which the marble statues stood and approached the grave where she slept the remains of the great master who had carved these marble statues. Each face had a reflected glory as they stood round Thordwaldson's grave, and some few gathered up the fallen rose leaves to preserve them. They had all come from afar, one from mighty England, others from Germany and France. One very handsome lady plucked a rose and concealed it in her bosom. Then the sparrows thought that the roses ruled in this place, and that the whole house had been built for them, which seemed really too much honor. But as all the people showed their love for the roses, the sparrows thought they would not remain behind hand in paying their respects. Tweet, they said, and swept the ground with their tails, and they glanced with one eye at the roses. They had not looked at them very long, however, before they felt convinced that they were old acquaintances, and so they actually were. The artist who had sketched the rosebush and the ruins of the cottage had since then received permission to transplant it, and had given it to the architect, for more beautiful roses had never been seen. The architect had planted it on the grave of Thord Waldson, where it continued to bloom, the image of the beautiful, scattering its fragrant rosy leaves to be gathered and carried away into distant lands in memory of the spot on which they fell. Have you obtained a situation in town? asked the sparrows of the roses. The roses nodded. They recognized their little gray neighbors and were rejoiced to see them again. It is very delightful, said the roses, to live here and to blossom, to meet old friends, and to see cheerful faces every day. It is as if each day were a holiday. Tui, said the sparrows to each other. Yes, these really are our old neighbors. We remember their origin near the pond. Tui, how they have risen, to be sure. Some people seem to get on while they are asleep. Ah, there's a withered leaf. I can see it quite plainly. And they pecked at the leaf till it fell. But the rosebush continued fresher and greener than ever. The roses bloomed in the sunshine on Thorwaldson's grave and thus became linked with his immortal name. The Roses and the Sparrows It really appeared as if something very important was going on by the duck farm, but this was not the case. A few minutes before, all the ducks had been resting on the water or standing on their heads, for they can do so, and then they all swam in a bustle to the shore. The traces of their feet could be seen on the wet earth, and far and wide could be heard their quacking. The water, so lately clear and bright as a mirror, became disturbed. 
A moment before, every tree and bush near the old farmhouse, and the house itself, with the holes in the roof, and the swallow's nest, and above all the beautiful rose bush covered with roses, had been clearly reflected in the water. The rose bush on the wall hung over the water, which resembled a picture, only everything appeared upside down. But when the water was set in motion, it all vanished and the picture disappeared. Two feathers dropped by the fluttering ducks floated to and fro on the water. All at once they took a start, as if the wind were coming. But it did not come, and they were obliged to lie still, as the water again became quiet and at rest. The roses could once more behold their own reflections. They were very beautiful, but they knew it not, for no one had told them. The sun shone between the delicate leaves. Everywhere, the sweet fragrance spread itself, creating a feeling of deep happiness. How beautiful is our existence, said one of the roses. I feel as if I should like to kiss the sun. It is so bright and warm. I should like to kiss the roses too, our images in the water and the pretty birds there in their nests. There are some birds too in a nest above us. They stretch out their heads and cry, tweet, tweet, very faintly. They have no feathers yet as their mother and father have. They are good neighbors above us and below us. How beautiful is our life. The young birds above and the young ones below were the same ones. They were sparrows, and their nest was reflected in the water. Their parents were sparrows also, and they had taken possession of an empty swallow's nest of the year before, and occupied it now as if it were their own. Are those ducks' children that are swimming about, asked the young sparrows, as they spied the feathers on the water. If you must ask questions, pray ask sensible ones, said the mother. Can you not see that these are feathers, the living stuff or clothes, which I wear and which you will wear soon? But ours are much finer. I should like, however, to have them up here in the nest. They would make it so warm. I'm rather curious to know why the ducks were so alarmed just now. It could not be from fear of us, certainly, though I did say tweet rather loudly. The thick-headed roses really ought to know, but they are very ignorant. They only look at one another and smell. I am heartily tired of such neighbors. Listen to the sweet little birds above us, said the roses. They are trying to sing. They cannot manage it yet, but it will be done in time. What a pleasure it will be to have such lively neighbors. Suddenly, two horses came prancing along to drink at the water. A peasant boy rode one of them. He had a broad-brimmed black hat on, but had taken off most of his other clothes that he might ride into the deepest part of the pond. He whistled like a bird, and while passing the rosebush, he plucked a rose and placed it in his hat, and then rode on, thinking himself very fine. 
The other roses looked at their sister and asked each other where she could be going, but they did not know. I should like for once to go out into the world, said one, although it is very lonely here in our home of green leaves. The sun shines warmly by day, and in the night we can see that heaven is more beautiful still as it sparkles through the holes in the sky. She meant the stars, for she knew no better. We make the house very lively, said the mother sparrow. Since people say that a swallow's nest brings luck, they are pleased to see us. But as to our neighbors, a rose bush on the wall produces damp. It will most likely be removed, and perhaps grain will grow here instead of it. Roses are good for nothing but to be looked at and smelled, or perhaps one may chance to be stuck in a hat. I have heard from my mother that they fall off every year. The farmer's wife preserves them by laying them in salt, and then they receive a French name, which I neither can nor will pronounce. They are formed only to please the eye and the nose. Now you know all about them. As evening approached, the gnats played about in the warm air beneath the rosy clouds, and the nightingale came and sang to the roses. She sang that the beautiful was like sunshine to the world, and that the beautiful lives forever. The roses thought that the nightingale was singing herself, which anyone, indeed, could easily suppose. They never imagined that her song could refer to them, but it was a joy to them, and they wondered to themselves whether all the little sparrows in the nest would become nightingales. We understood that bird's song very well, said the young sparrows, but one word was not clear. What is the beautiful? Oh, nothing of any consequence, replied the mother sparrow. It is something relating to appearances over yonder at the nobleman's house. The pigeons have a house of their own, and every day they have corn and peas spread for them. I have dined there with them sometimes, and so shall you by and by, for I believe the old maxim, tell me what company you keep, and I will tell you what you are. Well, over at the noble house, there are two birds with green throats and crests on their heads. They can spread out their tails like large wheels, and they reflect so many beautiful colors that it dazzles the eyes to look at them. These birds are called peacocks, and they belong to the beautiful. But if even a few of their feathers were plucked off, they would not appear better than we do. I would myself have plucked some out, had they not been so large. I will pluck them, squeaked the youngest sparrow, who had no feathers of his own yet. In the cottage dwelt two young married people, who loved each other very much and who were so industrious and active that everything looked neat and pretty around them. Early on Sunday mornings, the young wife came out, gathered a handful of the most beautiful roses, and put them in a glass of water, which she placed on a side table. I see now that it is Sunday, 
said the husband as he kissed his little wife. Then they sat down and read their hymn books, holding each other's hands while the sun shone down upon the young couple and upon the fresh roses in the glass. This sight is really too wearisome, said the mother sparrow, who from her nest could look into the room. Then she flew away. The same thing occurred the next Sunday, and indeed, every Sunday fresh roses were gathered and placed in a glass, but the rose tree continued to bloom in all its beauty. After a while, the young sparrows were fledged and wanted to fly but the mother would not allow it. So they were obliged to remain in the nest for the present while she flew away alone. It so happened that some boys had fastened a snare made of horsehair to the branch of a tree, and before she was aware, her leg became entangled in the horsehair so tightly as almost to cut it through. What pain and terror she felt. The boys ran up quickly and seized her, not in a very gentle manner. It is only a sparrow, they said. However, they did not let her fly away, but took her home with them, and every time she squeaked, they knocked her on the beak. In the farmyard, they met an old man who knew how to make soap for shaving and washing, in cakes or in balls. When he saw the sparrow, which the boys had brought home, in which they said they did not know what to do with. He said, Shall we make it beautiful? A cold shudder passed over the sparrow when she heard this. The old man then took a shell containing a quantity of glittering gold leaf from a box full of beautiful colors and told the youngsters to fetch the white of an egg. With this, he besmeared the sparrow all over and then laid the gold leaf on it so that the mother sparrow was now gilded from head to tail. Though she thought not of her appearance, she trembled in every limb. Then the soap maker tore a little piece out of the red lining of his jacket, cut notches in it so that it looked like a cock's comb, and stuck it on the bird's hat. Now you will see gold jacket fly, said the old man, and he released the sparrow which flew away in deadly terror with the sunlight shining upon her. How she did glitter. All the sparrows, and even a crow, who was a knowing old boy, were scared at the sight. Yet still, they followed it to discover what foreign bird it could be. Driven by anguish and terror, she flew back homewards, almost ready to sink to the earth for want of strength. The flock of birds that were following increased, and some even tried to peck her. Look at him, look at him, they all cried. Look at him, look at him, cried the young ones as their mother approached the nest. But they did not know her. That must be a young peacock, for he glitters in all colors. It quite hurts one's eyes to look at him. As mother told us, Tweet. This is the beautiful. Then they pecked the bird with their little beaks so that she was quite unable to get into the nest. 
She was too much exhausted even to say, Tui, much less to say, I am your mother. So the other birds fell upon the sparrow and pulled out feather after feather till she sunk bleeding into the rosebush. You poor creature, said the roses. Be at rest. We will hide you. Lean your little head against us. The sparrow spread out her wings once more and drew them in close to her, and then lay dead amongst the roses, her fresh and lovely neighbors. Tui sounded from the nest. Where can our mother be staying? That is quite unaccountable. Can this be a trick of hers to show us that we are now to take care of ourselves? She has left us the house as an inheritance, but as it cannot belong to all of us when we have families, who is to have it? It won't do for you all to stay with me when I increase my household with a wife and children, remarked the youngest. I shall have more wives and children than you, said the second. But I am the eldest, cried the third. Then they all became angry. They beat each other with their wings and pecked with their beaks till one after another bounded out of the nest. There they lay in a rage, holding their heads on one side and twinkling the eye that looked upwards. This was their way of looking sulky. They could all fly a little and by practice soon learned to do so much better. At length, they agreed upon a sign by which they might be able to recognize each other in case they should meet in the world after they are separated. This sign was to be the cry of Tui and a scratching on the ground three times with the left foot. The youngest, who was left behind in the nest, spread himself out as broad as he ever could, for he was the householder now but his glory did not last long. During that night, red flames of fire burst through the windows of the cottage. They seized the thatched roof and blazed up frightfully. The whole house was burned down and the sparrow perished with it, while the young couple fortunately escaped with their lives. When the sun rose again and all nature looked refreshed as after a quiet sleep, Nothing remained of the cottage but a few blackened, charred beams leaning against the chimney that now was the only master of the place. Thick smoke still rose from the ruins, but outside on the wall the rosebush still remained unburnt, blooming and fresh as ever, while each flower and each spray was mirrored in the clear water beneath. How beautifully the roses are blooming on the walls of that ruined cottage, said a passerby. A more lovely picture could scarcely be imagined. I must draw it. The speaker took out of his pocket a little book full of white leaves of paper, for he was an artist, and with a pencil he sketched the smoking ruins, the blackened rafters, and the chimney that overhung them and which seemed more and more to totter. Quite in the foreground stood the large, blooming rosebush, which added beauty to the picture. <laughs>
Indeed, it was for the sake of the roses that the sketch had been made. Later in the day, two of the sparrows who had been born there came by. Where is the house, they asked. Where is the nest, tweet tweet. All is burnt down, and our strong brother with it. That is all he got by keeping the nest. The roses have escaped. They look as well as ever, with their rosy cheeks. They do not trouble themselves about their neighbors' misfortunes. I won't speak to them. Really, in my opinion, the place looks very ugly. So they flew away. On a fine, bright, sunny day in autumn, so bright that anyone might have supposed it was still the middle of summer, a number of pigeons were hopping about in the nicely kept courtyard of the nobleman's house in front of the great steps. Some were black, others white, still others of various colors, and their plumage glittered in the sunshine. An old mother pigeon said to her young ones, Place yourselves in groups. Place yourselves in groups. That makes a much better appearance. What are those little gray creatures that are running about behind us? Asked an old pigeon with red and green round her eyes. Little gray ones. Little gray ones, she cried. They are sparrows. Good enough little creatures. We have always had the character of being very good nature, so we allow them to pick up some grain with us. They do not interrupt our conversation, and they draw back their left foot so prettily. Sure enough, so they did, three times each, and with the left foot too. And they said, Twee, by which we recognized them as the sparrows that were brought up in the nest on the house that was burnt down. The food here is very good indeed, said the sparrows. The pigeons strutted round each other, puffed out their throats, and formed their own opinions on everything they observed. Do you see the powder pigeon, said one of another. Do you see how he swallows the peas? He takes too much, and always chooses the best of everything. Ka'u, ka'u. How the ugly, spiteful creature lifts his crest. And all their eyes sparkled with malice. Place yourselves in groups. Place yourselves in groups. Little gray coats. Little gray coats. Coo. Coo. So they went on. And it will be the same a thousand years hence. The sparrows feasted bravely. And listened attentively. They even stood in ranks like the pigeons, but it did not suit them. So having satisfied their hunger, they left the pigeons passing their own opinions upon them to each other and slipped through the garden railings. The door of a room in the house leading into the garden stood open, and one of them, who felt brave after his good dinner, hopped upon the threshold, crying, Tui. I can venture so far. Twee, said another. I can venture that and a great deal more. 
and into the room he hopped. The first followed, and, seeing no one there, the third became outrageous and flew right across the room, saying, Venture everything, or do not venture at all. This a wonderful place, a man's nest, I suppose. And look, what can this be? Just in front of the sparrows stood the ruins of the burnt cottage. Roses were blooming over it, and their reflection appeared in the water beneath. The black charred beams rested against the tottering chimney. How could it be? How came the cottage and the roses in a room in the nobleman's house? Then the sparrows tried to fly over the roses and the chimney, but they were only struck themselves against a flat wall. It was a picture, a large, beautiful picture, which the artist had painted from his little sketch. Tui, said the sparrows, it is really nothing after all. It only looks like reality. Tui, I suppose that is the beautiful. Can you understand it? I cannot. Then, some persons entered the room, and the sparrows flew away. Years and days passed. The pigeons had often cooed. We must not say quarrel, though perhaps they did. Naughty things. The sparrows had suffered from cold in the winter, and had lived gloriously in summer. They were all betrothed, or married, or whatever you like to call it. They had little ones, and of course each considered his own brood the wisest and the prettiest. One flew in this direction, and another in that, and when they met, they recognized each other by saying, Twee, and by three times drawing back the left foot. The eldest remained single. She had no nest or young ones. Her great wish was to see a large town, so she flew to Copenhagen. Near to the castle that stood by the channel could be seen a large house, richly decorated with various colors. Down the channel sailed many ships, laden with apples and earthenware. The windows were broader below than at the top, and when the sparrows peeped through, they saw a room that looked to them like a tulip, with beautiful colors of every shade. Within the tulip were white figures of human beings made of marble. Some few were made of plaster, but this is the same thing to a sparrow. Upon the roof stood a metal chariot and horses, and the goddess of victory, also of metal, was seated in the chariot driving the horses. It was Thorwaldsen's museum. How it shines and glitters, said the maiden sparrow. This must be the beautiful, Tweet. only this is larger than a peacock. She remembered what her mother had told them in her childhood, that the peacock was one of the greatest examples of the beautiful. 
she flew down into the courtyard, where everything also was very grand. The walls were painted to represent palm branches, and in the midst of the court stood a large, blooming rose tree, spreading its young, sweet, rose-covered branches over a grave. Thither the maiden sparrow flew, for she saw many others of her own kind. Tui, said she, drawing back her foot three times. During the years that had passed, she had often made the usual greeting to sparrows she met, but without receiving any acknowledgement. For friends who are once separated do not meet every day. This manner of greeting had become a habit to her, and today two old sparrows and a young one returned the greeting. Tweet, they replied, and drew back the left foot three times. There were two old sparrows out of the nest and a young one belonging to the family. Ah, good day. How do you do? To think of our meeting here. This is a very grand place, but there is not much to eat. This is the beautiful Tweet. A great many people now came out of the side rooms in which the marble statues stood and approached the grave where she slept the remains of the great master who had carved these marble statues. Each face had a reflected glory as they stood round Thordwaldson's grave, and some few gathered up the fallen rose leaves to preserve them. They had all come from afar, one from mighty England, others from Germany and France. One very handsome lady plucked a rose and concealed it in her bosom. Then the sparrows thought that the roses ruled in this place and that the whole house had been built for them, which seemed really too much honor. But as all the people showed their love for the roses, the sparrows thought they would not remain behind hand in paying their respects. Tweet, they said, and swept the ground with their tails, and they glanced with one eye at the roses. They had not looked at them very long, however, before they felt convinced that they were old acquaintances, and so they actually were. The artist who had sketched the rosebush and the ruins of the cottage had since then received permission to transplant it, and had given it to the architect for more beautiful roses had never been seen. The architect had planted it on the grave of Thord Waldson, where it continued to bloom, the image of the beautiful, scattering its fragrant rosy leaves to be gathered and carried away into distant lands in memory of the spot on which they fell. Have you obtained a situation in town? asked the sparrows of the roses. The roses nodded. They recognized their little gray neighbors and were rejoiced to see them again. It is very delightful, said the roses, to live here and to blossom, to meet old friends, and to see cheerful faces every day. It is as if each day were a holiday. Tweet said the sparrows to each other. Yes, these really are our old neighbors. 
we remember their origin near the pond. Twee. How they have risen, to be sure. Some people seem to get on while they are asleep. Ah, there's a withered leaf. I can see it quite plainly. And they pecked at the leaf till it fell. But the rosebush continued fresher and greener than ever. The roses bloomed in the sunshine on Thorwaldson's grave, and thus became linked with his immortal name. Thank you for listening to Sleepy. Good night.